This is the On the Touchline podcast. We're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rogers. Welcome to the show. In season three, episode 12, Aaron and I talked to Marty Beal. And Marty is the head women's soccer coach at the University of Richmond in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, I met Marty years ago just through the, the coaching world, and but really got to know him five or six years ago going through the What Drives Winning online course and really, really appreciate his approach to coaching, his approach to how he interacts with his players and, and his overall philosophy of trying to, to get the best out of each individual, not just from a soccer sense, but from a, a lifelong learning sense. And, and I really appreciate um, who he is as a, as a person, as a, as a father, as a husband. Uh, um, and, and this was an awesome conversation for us to, to really, really dive into the psych social aspect of coaching. And I know I, I got a lot out of it. Before we get to Marty, we, um, you can find this podcast on all major podcasting platforms. So whatever platform you prefer, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple podcast, uh, you can find the On the Touchline podcast available. And if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, it really would mean a lot to Aaron and I if you hit the pause button right now, went there, left a five-star rating, and a brief review about the show. Just leave us a sentence or two of what you'd like and help us continue to grow the network of On the Touchline podcast. And our goal is to make the footballing and soccer world just a little bit smaller and to really do a deep dive into the the social and psychological aspect of what it takes to be a coach, a player, or someone in our game. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Marty Beal, the head women's coach at the University of Richmond. Well, uh, Marty Beal, thank you for joining the On the Touchline podcast. And, um, you know, for folks who might know your name, Marty, in the uh, University of Richmond, tell the listening audience a little bit about your backstory. Um, I was reading your bio, and you know, this isn't uh, isn't your first rodeo, uh, so to speak. You've been a few places. So, uh, how did you get to the University of Richmond? Oh, do we have ten hours or just an hour? Um, <laughs> as long as you need. Definitely a long, long road that I've traveled. Um, you know, growing up, uh, you know, grew up in a, on a farm. So um, grew up in a working class family um, where, you know, college education wasn't really talked about much or anything like that. Um, you know, hard work is what was talked about. Uh, thankfully, I had an older brother who um, played soccer. And so I remember as a seven-year-old going to go be a ball boy at his games and uh, just seeing him play, uh, I was just in awe of, of how good he was and how hard he worked. And it just kind of inspired me to, to pick up the game and start playing. Um, so I started playing, uh, but uh, we didn't really understand the club system or how to, you know, what the value of club soccer was. So, you know, I played rec and, and travel soccer in our local area. Uh, I grew up in Maryland and so did that up until high school. And, um, you know, I somehow became okay at it. And so in high school, I got connected with some of the older guys and um, uh, through their connections, I uh, got connected into the Bethesda Soccer Club um, and got to play as a, as a freshman on the U19 Bethesda team, uh, which was really cool. Then the next year I played on, on age. And uh, so that kind of kick-started my career, if you will, playing career with soccer. And But I never really understood or had the value of, of uh, ac- academics. Um, so I wasn't the brightest kid and didn't really devote much time to my grades or anything like that in high school. Did just enough to get by because uh, all I was focused on was, was playing and playing soccer. And um, so when it came down to recruiting, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have the grades and, and test scores to get into the schools that uh, were recruiting me. So I went to a junior college, uh, Montgomery Junior College in Rockville, Maryland, a uh, great division, uh, great uh, junior college program, top 20 in the country, and uh, played there for a year and um, did well and uh, got picked up at uh, University of Maryland Eastern Shore um, back in the day when they had a program. And... Um, uh, but I didn't go there for the right reasons. I, I went there just to play soccer. Um, and they had some great players. Uh, and, and the coach was a great guy. 
but um, it wasn't a, an environment that um, I felt was helping me become a pro, and that was my goal was to be a pro. And so I, I left after my junior year um, to go try to play professional soccer, uh, blew my knee out, um, tore my posterior cruciate knee uh, ligament, and uh, it kind of ended my playing career uh, right there. And so there I'm, I'm out of college, uh, no degree and no future playing soccer. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously I'm back home and, and trying to figure out what to do with my life. And while I was doing that, I knew I needed to make money. So I got, uh, thankfully I got a job in my old high school as the JV boys coach. At the same time, I was uh, got picked up to coach a, a U14 girls club team, um, which I really don't re- recommend as a you know 21 year old hothead you know soccer know it all uh, to, to get jump right into those two environments without any uh, true direction. <laughs> um, so I uh, made a lot of mistakes, but just kept going. But uh, through different connections, um, it was actually funny. The the a boy on my JV team had a girlfriend on the club team that I was coaching, so I had a connection there. And the girl had an older sister that played at the uh, College of Notre Dame down in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, D3 program. And uh, they needed an assistant coach. And so uh, so I went down there, uh, interviewed, and, and got the job as assistant coach and started coaching uh, club soccer down there in Baltimore. Um, and through that, just kind of realized that, you know, coaching is kind of my little niche. It's, it's what I want to go into. Um, and when I look back, I remember back in high school, uh, uh, the – Old, old coach I had, he had North Carolina and JMU come up to their high school to play, the women's teams play. And I remember being there watching that, man, man, that looks really cool. That looks really, really neat to see this, this what I called at that time, big time programs playing against each other. Um, and so that just, those little seeds just kind of planted in my mind about, about coaching college. And, uh, but I didn't have a degree. Um, so, uh, thankfully I was, I was hired at, at Francis Marion university to be the, the men's and women's assistant coach. And when I uh, got there, I went back to school full time and got my degree in psychology. Um, and, uh, you know, the AD or the, the head coach at the time, um, became the athletic director a year after I got there. And, um, you obviously can't be the athletic director and the head coach of the men's team and the head coach of the women's teams. So uh, he actually did me a favor, and he retained the title of women's soccer coach, uh, but he put me in charge of the women's soccer team. Um, so for three years, I, I ran every aspect of the women's soccer team while I was finishing up my, my degree. And um, as soon as I got my degree, he named me head coach. And so I stayed there for six more years uh, as a head coach. Um, and uh, tra- they transitioned from Division two to Division one while I was there. Um, and we got to play a team called High Point University. And while I was at Francis Marion, and and we beat them two years in a row, and uh, then the High Point job came open, and I remember interviewing for the job, and the AD just couldn't understand how a, a team from uh, Francis Marion, an independent Division One program, could could beat his High Point University team. Uh, so I ended up getting hired because of that. Um, that was the kind of the key thing that he saw. Uh, you know, then I was there for uh, nine great years. Um, you know, we got to have a, a little bit of success while I was there. Um, and then I got a phone call from the University of Richmond. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when a, an athletic director calls you about a job, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool feeling. Kind of reminded me of what it was like as a, as a player to get a phone call from a college coach, you know, asking them to, are you interested in our program? And uh, so I went through that process uh, and uh, fell in love with the school, fell in love with the campus, um, and saw a lot of, lot of bright things that are in store for the future here. And so I took on the challenge, and here I am. So that's the short version. <laughs> <laughs> I love, so you mentioned um, having a psychology degree and uh, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you have a history degree, uh, communication degree for myself. And I just, I wonder Marty, in terms of, you know, that background, right? We talk so much about coaching psychology, player psychology of understanding people and something that I wrote down, uh, it's actually in your, your email signature, um, you know, person is greater than the player. Um, and maybe, you know, riff on that just for a sec in terms of what that actually means for you and maybe how that's prepared you uh, to lead a, a group of young women. Yeah, so, you know, I think that, um, well, I picked that up from, from Brett Ledbetter and, uh, and his What Drives Winning um, 
program, a website, book uh, that he has, uh, the whole nine yards. I was fortunate to, to actually be with Aaron and go through the uh, Brett's first uh, online course that he had on, on what drives winning, uh, which was a very valuable experience for me. Um, so that's where I picked it up, but I've always thought that. I've always thought that uh, and run programs and coached on the philosophy of players don't care how much you know until they know that you care. Um, and I, I really believe in that. And so uh, the person is greater than player just kind of gave a symbol and kind of gave a, a system to what I was doing and how I was doing it. Um, you know, and so, you know, we're, we're competitors, we want to win, but, uh, you know, the, at the end of the day, we're, we're coaching human beings. And so we have to understand that each human being is motivated differently. And so what works for player A may not work for player B. And so the only way you're going to know the difference is to get to know both player A and player B as people and really kind of learn as to, you know, what triggers them and what motivates them to play this game. Aaron, bring you in. You know, Marty, obviously, I got to know you the best, obviously, through that, through that uh, What Drives Winning course that we did. Gosh, how many, many years ago that was. And, uh, and I agree with you. I think, I think we all have it inside of us that, that people are the most important thing, not necessarily the player. But I guess just being able to succinctly put that down into person is greater than the player is, is so vital. And I mean, even John Wooden talked about that years and years and years ago. And there's no, there's no um, question why he was so successful because he had put that down together. But, you know, I remember, you probably don't even know this, but your very first NCAA game as the head coach of High Point University against the University of Maryland in 2009, I was actually at that game. Do you remember no. that game? Yeah. <laughs> I was actually at that game. Um, and because uh, it was at the same time as um, some recruiting event or something. And I just happened to be, oh, it was the, what's the Bethesda tournament or whatever. Yeah, I just yeah, happened yeah. to be at, and, and I was at that game. But that being said, you know, you did have some awesome success at, at High Point and you're doing awesome at, at Richmond now. But how different is coaching in 2020 as it even was in 2009, as it relates to the care for each individual player um, uh, as, a, as a person, as, a, as opposed to a player? Well, I mean, clearly it's, it's, it's um, night and day difference, I think. I think that the uh, players today um, are so much more in tune with, with who they are and, and what they need. Um, and I think as, as coaches, we have to be even more in tune to where they are emotionally and, and, uh, and mentally. Um, you know, but I also think that it's a lot different because I'm a lot different. You know, I've learned a lot and, and you know, in 09, uh, made so many mistakes and that I don't think I make the same mistakes now, but I make different mistakes, of course. But, um, you know, I've just learned so much over the past decade that uh, I'm a completely different coach and a uh, completely different person than I was in, in 09. So I think that I'm more in tune with um, making sure we're, we're understanding our athletes at a higher level. You know, I think when you look at society and you see the, the tragedies that happen across campuses and, and across the country, um, you know, really wake you up to understand that as a head coach, you have a very vital role. As a college coach, you, you have a vital role in these young people and, and helping them be successful in life and giving them the skills that help them manage the stress and the, the um, adversity that they face on a daily basis. Uh, you know, so, you know, we, we play soccer and we coach soccer, but, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's, it's really about giving them the skills that are going to help them go on and be successful uh, once they graduate from the University of Richmond. I, th I listen we talk about that all the time with all of our guests and is that that this is soccer is just the the thread that brings us together I mean because it's really about creating people and it's really about using soccer to help us to be the best person that we can be to be able to tackle everything that we have in front that is going to come in front of us um, because we learn these things through the game of soccer and through our love mutual love um, of the game and of, of making each other better so real quick, if, if I, I think I got this right, you guys actually scored the first goal in that game, didn't you? Yeah, Canada. yeah, yeah, we did. <laughs> um, but actually, it was our second NCAA tournament because our first one we played in North Carolina, 
in 09. Uh, lost okay, one so it was 10. It was in 2010. Okay. We okay. And, yeah, we were up 1-0 and uh, greatest feeling in the world. Like, oh, my goodness, can we do this? Yeah. And, uh, that didn't last too long. They ended up tying it up uh, before halftime and then uh, went on to win the game and scored at the 70th minute. They scored up on a set piece to go up 2-1. to one. And then, you know, we had to actually come out of our, our defensive bunker and, and try and score and didn't go too well against one of the top teams in the country at that time. Yeah, no, but I mean, the goal was the screamer. The goal you scored, I remember she smashed that shot from from way from way out. Um, yeah, that's that's what those are great memories. And I think um, how how do you think as a coach? How do you think that you've developed? What are what are the things that that you've been able to do as a, as a human to create more um, empathy with the players? I think I, I try and, and continuously learn. Um, I'm always reading books um, and uh, watching podcasts, listening to podcasts uh, like this one, and and learning from different people and just to, to understand things at a at a higher level. Um, you know, I look at uh, a guy named Brian Kite, um, who has has really had an impact on 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 my life and and understanding the you know systems and how to apply systems to what we do. So. Uh, you know, understand the mindset cycle, uh, you know, how what we focus on leads to self-talk and that self-talk leads to the emotions and feelings that we feel. And, and from those emotions and feelings, we, we generate action. And uh, then that leads to what you're focusing on. So it's the, the mindset cycle. And uh, I think just learning things like that just really helps me stay more in tune to uh, seeing my players in a, in a different way and not just seeing them as, as an athlete and, and as a performer on the field. I think that obviously we all want to grow as a technical, tactical coach. And I think that's, that's so vital. Um, how much of, and obviously you're a college coach. Do you still coach? I know you coached youth soccer too in, in North Carolina. Are you coaching any in, in Richmond? Yeah, I actually hooked up with the Richmond Strikers and uh, I have a U9 team. So, uh, <laughs> you nine girls. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. Is that your daughter's team? No, no, she's not. She's not yeah. playing soccer. She's a gymnast. Oh man, jeez. Uh, but but definitely, you know, having an eight year old daughter does help me relate a little bit to the the eight year olds that I'm I'm coaching on a, on a weekly basis. So let me ask you this question. So when you were coaching the older girls in in uh, North Carolina. Uh, what kind of difference did you see or did you see any difference between developing or, or training those youth players and the difference that it may have been in preparing the college players or did you just approach it in the exact same way? I think I approached it in the same way, but I, but I also understood that um, it's all about expectations, what you expect uh, the, the players to be able to do. And so, you know, at the college level, you expect them to be able to perform at a higher level, to do things at a faster pace, to uh, respond quicker. Um, I think at the youth level, your your expectations have to come down a little bit about how quickly they can respond to adversity in a game or how how well they can execute a technique under pressure and at speed. Um, so, but I still would do the, the, you know, very similar activities. I would just adjust my um, – how much I expected of them at that time. Uh, and again, just knowing who you're, who you're coaching, I think is important because uh, there are some players that I coached that were really, really talented and really driven. So, you know, you would you know, talk to them a little bit differently than you would the player who uh, was out there for the social aspect, who just enjoyed playing soccer. And, uh, you know, so you got to keep them both motivated and keep them both going, um, you know, within the team environment, uh, but you have to do it from a different perspective each way. Um, you know, how do you, how much of the, of the training of yourself do you dedicate to the psychological, psychosocial side of things as opposed to, or in, uh, against the technical, tactical stuff? I mean, cause I feel like, I feel like it's 60, 40 psychosocial to me. I actually would say it's like 90, 10. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, um, I agree with that. Then <laughs> I, I do very, very little uh, studying of tactics per se. Um, I know there's some great books out there and, and great resources to uh, learn those things, um, 
But I think for, for me, I try and keep soccer really, really simple. Um, I try and keep the game as simple as possible. Uh, but for me, it's all about understanding how to lead uh, the organization, how to lead these players, um, how to uh, motivate them and not necessarily motivate them because I don't personally, I don't believe you can motivate somebody. I think you can inspire them to be motivated. You know, so how can I create the environment to, to, um, for them to be motivated, to be the best that they can be. Um, that's what I talk to them about every single day is, you know, be the best version of you that you can be uh, day in and day out. And so if, if I'm going to ask them to do that, then I need to be doing that myself. And so that's where I do all my reading and, and podcasts and things like that are more from the, the psychosocial aspect than from just simply reading tactical books or watching tactical videos and, and things along those lines. Um, certainly I have a lot to learn from that. Um, I'm not saying I, I don't do it because I know it all. I just put a lot more value and emphasis into the uh, psychosocial than I do the, the tactics. Well, listen, I, I need to do more tactical because I'm 0-2 against Marty as a coach. So <laughs> two games, two losses for, yeah, for – that's, that's why Richmond's not coming up to play Ohio. I want to keep the record same. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Aaron, he told me that he, uh, you know, hunker down, park the bus, pop, pop you on the counterattack and, uh, you know, throw one in late and kind of see what happens, right? Yeah, <laughs> it works. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Marty, I, I wonder about um, uh, you know the the evolving player, right? And Aaron kind of touched on this uh, a little bit earlier. Um, you know, in terms of a player in two thousand nine, obviously looks a little bit different in uh, you know twenty twenty, uh, and some of the players you've coached previously. Talked a little bit about you know teaching them those life skills, right? Because Let's face it. I mean, yes, as much as we want players to go on and play professionally, that's a, a you know, the, those percentages of players that get to that level, you know, are the elite of the uh, elite. So, you know, we know that those numbers are small and that's not a, a, a criticism of the players at, at all. I mean, you know, um, soccer is a, is a mechanism and is a, is a vehicle. But, you know, they're going on to be professionals in whatever field that they want to be, if they want to be a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor or a marketing person or whatever. And I wonder how that adversity piece, right, of how that actually translates. I know how it's translated for me, but I wonder what that looks like for you in in the environment you have uh, at Richmond of how do you teach players of, you know, here's here's a, a piece of adversity that you're going through. Here's what it applies to or, or looks like in, in real life? Yeah, so that's, we, we talk about adversity every single day um, because every day, every single one of us face some form of adversity, uh, whether it's just fatigue when we wake up or whether it's soreness uh, as an athlete or maybe even an injury to the more serious adversities of, of uh, you know, losses of family members or friend, close friends. Um, you know, uh, Again, I, I referenced Brian Kite earlier, but Brian Kite turned me on to a, a wonderful um, formula that uh, they, they talk about a lot, uh, E plus R equals O. Um, and uh, it's, it's how we operate our entire program based around this one simple uh, formula. Uh, you have your event plus your response equals your outcome. And the only thing that we control in life is our response. Uh, we don't control the events that we have. We don't control the outcomes we, we get but we do have control of our response. Uh, so we talk to our athletes about the adversities that you're facing and, and how to have a positive mindset to overcome that adversity, meaning think about what's the outcome that you would want uh, from this day or from this adversity, and then what response do you need to have to create that outcome? And so uh, that's, again, speaking of psychosocial, I mean, that's, that's what we talk about every single day. Uh, we talk about in training, about their response to adversity from you know having a bad touch or missing a shot or giving up a goal you know how are you going to respond from that Uh, i think it's the most critical element in the game and uh, i I view it also as the most critical element as a human being you know how we respond on a daily basis to events in our lives uh, positive events or the uh, the negative adversity that we face Uh, you know so that's something that we talk about on a daily basis is is that response we call it the response factor that r factor i wonder what um speaking of response, what, what the response from the players has been. Um, because, you know, a, a player 10 years ago, 15 years ago, in terms of maybe even socially, 
what they've been exposed to looks a lot different than a, a player today of what they're exposed to. And, and part of that is the, um, you know, sort of acceleration of technology and how, um, you know, impacting it is in, in each of our lives on a daily basis. Uh, part of it is probably societal events, um, you know, from really horrific things to, you know, joyous things that have happened. Um, you know, the, it, the world feels a little topsy-turvy <laughs> right now. Um, you know, I told someone over the holidays that I, I kind of feel like the world's, you know, upside down and kind of standing on its head at the moment. Um, and that, you know, that's different than 10, 15, 20 years ago, right, with some of the players that we've worked with. And I wonder if, you know, what they say, or do they even recognize that these things are going on, or is this part of an environment that they've, you know, been brought up in, that this is actually, you know, this is almost expected now uh, from them as players? Well, I mean, I think that, uh, I think too many players in this society we live in right now expect things to be easy. Uh, so mm -hmm. when things are hard, uh, that's where they're like, well, wait, wait, I actually have to, to work here. I actually have to push through. Things are, I'm not going to be the best anymore. Um, you know, so those are things that, you know, I deal with now here at Richmond. We're an elite academic school. Uh, so from an academic standpoint, someone was valedictorian in high school and got straight A's, and now they come here and they're, they're working their tail off just to get a B, and they don't, like, why is this happening? And, uh, you know, so really uh, helping them, Again, go back to that, that, that the R factor. How are they going to respond from it? What are they going to do um, in those situations? Teaching them how to study better, how to manage their time more efficiently, uh, things like that. You know, so you know, things are definitely um, different now, but I, th I still think it's the same thing that we've been talking about uh, that I talked to our team about you know, 10 years ago. It's always been about you know, what are you going to do now, uh, not you know, what just happened or what's going to happen, but what are you going to do now? And, and I think, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I'm more understanding about how to systematically help them, help the athletes uh, learn those tools and learn those skills that are needed to, to overcome the adversity on a daily basis, because it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop when, when they're 25 years old, when they're 35 years old, uh, they suddenly, as, as you guys know, when you have kids, uh, you know, things could happen at, at any second. Um, you know, so you have to have those skill set, that toolbox, um, as I call it, to, to go back into to figure out what you need to do to keep moving forward, to solve problems and and to be successful in life. In terms of uh, your training ground demeanor or match day demeanor, um, what do you like, uh, you know, on training day or, or, or match day? Um, uh, yeah. Training day, very, very focused. Um, I really had to talk to our, you know, as I'm still new here at Richmond, you know, so I've only been in my second year. Uh, so the players are still in the process of getting to know me. And, um, and I'm, I'm very focused out at, at training. You know, when we start practice, I'm, you know, moving around, I'm getting things set up. And, you know, I have a, an idea, not an idea, but a, a plan in my mind about what we're going to do throughout the day and what I want to accomplish that day. Um, so I really had to help my players understand that when, when you see me, you know, serious face. It's, it's not that I'm in a, a bad mood or mad about anything, but I'm just focused. I'm uh, intense about uh, being the best coach I can be and getting the players to, to be the best that they can be in that session. Um, you know, when it comes to games, uh, you know, one thing I've learned in my time is to, to be yourself. Uh, you, you can't try and coach like somebody else coaches. Um, you look at, at Brad Stevens, and, and I remember going through this with Aaron, uh, talking with uh, Brett Ledbetter, about um, being yourself and being true to who you are and your personality. And you, know, you look at somebody like Brad Stevens, the, the Boston Celtics coach, and uh, I really admire him. I mean, I just look at him as like the epitome of what a coach can look like and can act like and how to respond to adversity uh, in such a calm, focused manner. Um, and that now I've learned that that's, that's great for Brad. Uh, but, but I just can't do it <laughs> just my personality is, is, uh, is not like Brad Stevens. Um, you know, but I think I've, I've learned to be more calm. I've learned to be more analytical in a game. Um, I've learned to not respond, uh, in a, in a negative way. Um, you know, when things don't go exactly how you would like them to go in a game. Uh, but certainly I'm an intense, uh, person and a passionate coach. Uh, you know, I want to win just like everybody does. Uh, some coaches are able to sit there, even though they want to win, they're able to sit there for 90 minutes uh, without saying a thing. And some coaches are up talking for 90 minutes. Uh, and I would say I'm probably in between the two of them. 
I'm probably, you know, I, I sit down quite a bit and analyze, but then I, you know, know that I can't sit there for the whole, whole time. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me a couple of years ago is um, as I was trying to be more calm, and, and this is, again, going back to where, where Aaron and I were with uh, Brett Ledbetter, and I was trying to be more like Brad. And I was trying to be more just calm and, and analytical. And, and um, my players thought I didn't care. You know, I had some of my, my seniors talk to me about, you know, do you, you know, you're, you're, you're not talking enough during a game. You know, it looks like you don't care. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's certainly not what I'm in, in, intentionally trying to do in, uh, at all. You know, so that was pretty interesting to me is that, that my players, I guess they had, they had seen a side of me that was very passionate and animated. Um, and then they saw a side of me that was very calm and stoic. And so they, they took that as, oh, he doesn't care about this game, or he doesn't care about, you know, us winning the game or, or what's happening in the game. And I was like, that, that you couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, but to, again, through the process of, of going through that course with, um, with Brett Ledbetter, it, it really helped me understand that, Yes, there are areas about my personality that I want to improve on and, and my coaching that I want to improve on, but you know, I'm, still, I'm still Marty Beal. I'm still a passionate uh, person. I'm still um, a diehard competitor like so many other people, and, and I have to stay true to that. You know? so, so that's kind of, kind of who I am in, in training and who I am in a game. Uh, then you see me off the field, and I'm very introverted and very uh, keep to myself, uh, very observant. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think that can be a, a negative aspect. They can, some people can look at that as um, Marty's arrogant or standoffish or doesn't want to talk to people. And, and again, that couldn't be further from the truth. I, I just observe, and um, I always feel like I, I don't want to bug somebody else, you know. And, and, you know, what do I have to say to, to that person, you know, that, that type of thing. So um, it, is, it is something that I'm trying to work on on being more um, – outgoing uh, but again you have to be true to who you are uh, and you can't try and you can't fake it you can't try and be like somebody else just because you think that's what society needs you to be uh, and you know that's one of the things we talk to our team about is they're all individual players they're all very unique and, and created differently and they have to stay true to that uniqueness and, and be who they are at all times not trying to be somebody else while they're trying to still work on being the best version of themselves uh, every single day. Hey, Aaron, we have a new sponsor in 2020. Yeah, what is that? Uh, it's Manscaped. And uh, have you ever been to the beach or ever been out somewhere and noticed the uh, the guy that's wearing literally like a, a rug, you know, hasn't really taken yeah. care of himself? Oh, yeah. Uh, pretty nasty, right? No one wants oh, to yeah. No, no. So uh, Manscaped has created a redesigned electric trimmer. And you and I actually both got these in the mail. And their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology. So you won't nick yourself uh, while you're trying to clean up those body hairs that are just a nuisance. Uh, manscaping accidents will finally be a thing of the past. So I think you and I can both give a high five for that. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to use the same trimmer that you use on your face for other parts of your body, right? That's kind of gross. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. So you can use our promo code OTTL at manscaped.com to get 20% off plus free shipping. So that's OTTL at manscaped.com. Uh, you always want to use the right tools for the job, uh, your body, and below the belt. Well, certainly thank you. So that's O-T-T-L at checkout at manscaped.com and you'll get free shipping and 20% off today. Marty, I love that because, uh, you know, I, I think for, for young coaches, especially that, right, we all have coaches that we admire or look up to or, you know, we want to be like, and, and there's, you know, numerous books, obviously, you know, people want to be like Pep or people want to be like, you know, insert name of great coach or, you know, Sir Alex and, uh, and, and you know, being a man, you guy, uh, you know, but I, I love what you said there about the importance of realizing that you can't fake who you are, right? You have to be yourself. And I can completely relate to what you said too of, um, 
you know, and, and I don't know if it's just because my comfort level being around, you know, soccer or a training session or a match is where, you know, truly I feel like, you know, this is where I'm called to be in life. And one of the areas of my life where I feel incredibly comfortable being, but you know, if you put me in other situations, I'm exactly the same way, Marty, where, um, you know, I, I tend to sit back and I tend, you know, some people have even used the word passive or I, you know, just observe and I'm kind of scanning the room or whatever. And, you know, I'll find sort of my way to work myself in, but I'm not naturally the one to go out and sort of, you know, go out of my way. And, you know, people, I, I think will probably find that a bit, you know, surprising probably about all of us as coaches is that I think for a lot of us, there's definitely an introverted side that we don't talk about enough. And I think is absolutely okay. I think it's a great quality that we all have because we're so on, I use that in your quote, so on when we're with our players, with our teams, you know, leading, um, you know, it, if we're going through the motions and we're kind of hanging back, you're going to, the feedback that you got from your players is <laughs> so great because, um, you know, they knew something was, was kind of off there. Right. And, um, you know, I've gotten feedback at different times from my players too. And I think, you know, a younger version of myself, I might've dismissed that. I might've said like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm going to do me and I don't really, I care what they say, but I'm not going to act on what they say. Um, and I think it comes through experiences. I think it comes through, you know, getting a little bit older, a little bit of wisdom, you know, whatever it might be, or I think I've learned to actually take that feedback and go, oh my gosh, like what I'm doing is actually impacting them in a way that might impact their performance. Um, so I don't need to chase, you know, uh, you know, uh, whoever is a coach uh, and want to be like them as a coach. I just need to be the best version of myself. I can pull things from here, pull things from there, you know, but at the end of the day, when I'm making the soup, you know, I got a little bit of salt, I got a little bit of broth, I got vegetables, I got some whatever, but I've pulled that from a number of sources. And, you know, uh, it goes back to just the uniqueness of, of each of us as, uh, as people. So uh, I, I like that. So I'm, a, I'm on my, my soapbox here because I, I feel like we're uh, br brothers from other mothers. So I thought it was good, though. I think because I, I, felt the same way after watching Brad Stevens and thinking, man, I got to be like that guy. I got to be calm and composed and act like nothing affects me, but that's not me either. He's but so I, damn cool, Aaron. I mean, <laughs> it exudes cool. <laughs> I know. And, 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 and everybody's got to be like that. And, but then I thought the same thing and the way I kind of took it is it's not necessarily that you have to be so calm and collected whatever that means, like Brad Stevens, but it's more of the body language that you're exuding to the team. And that doesn't, and that doesn't mean that body language that's animated can't be positive or doesn't mean that it can't be helpful. It just, it's the body language and how it is portrayed because I know you all know this, that our players look at us all the time during practices, during games, because they want to see, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Is coach happy with what I'm doing? And so even if you have that animation, that body language being positive or um, encouraging is the most important thing. And it doesn't have to be Brad Stevens where you're just like this the whole time because this is Brad Stevens. But there are moments where I have to be Brad Stevens because I want to be the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think that goes back to, you know, how, you know, and especially in a game, you know, we, we can't control things in a game. You know, those, those are things that are happening that we can't control. Uh, but what we can control is our response, um, you know, so that, that official that makes a call that we don't agree with. Um, you know, is your response just out of pure reaction and emotion, or is it, is it calculated? Is your response, you know, on purpose, with a purpose? Uh, you know, so I think that's something to, to, that I'm always trying to be cognitive of. And, and I'm 100% I fail every single game. You know, I'm, I'm getting better and better and better. But without a doubt, you know, my response is not 100% accurate every single game. Uh, you know, but it's, it's certainly a lot better than what it was 10 years ago when I first got started at, at High Point University. Well, Aaron, I think that, uh, that what you said, I mean, so we'll, we'll use uh, Jurgen Klopp as an example here, right, of how that energy and it pains me to say this as an Everton guy, and I'm sure Marty can relate as a, as a man, you guy, uh, that Klopp uses his energy 
in a positive way, right? He went to Liverpool. Liverpool was, you know, has been competitive for a long time. He's done his body language and how he manages the player and the individual has been enough to push them over the top. And, you know, that's winning Champions League last year, uh, you know, on their on the you know, clear cut path to win the, uh, the Premier League now. And I, I love, you know, I, just as a, as a soccer and football observer, I love watching him manage because his reactions are priceless. You know, but I could say the same thing of, uh, you know, Antonio Conte when he was at Chelsea. I mean, there's one time, you know, a few seasons ago, I mean, he was, he literally jumped in the stands, you know, full suit and all. Um, But it's that calculated, and sometimes emotion is emotion, right? You can't control it. You just kind of go. I mean, I think back to a match this past season with my high school team, and I mean, it just sort of took me on a ride. Um, It was positive, but, uh, you know, it can inspire that. And Aaron, I think it goes back to your point of, Players are looking to us for that validation. And rightly or wrongly, they've been conditioned to that, right? So they might be getting that validation from the parents, from the people around the sidelines, you know, especially at the younger ages. And, you know, that sort of drives me a little bit batty as a coach that has worked with some of the younger groups. And Marty and and Aaron, you can relate to that having been in that environment. But, you know, for us as a coach, like, yeah, they, I mean, even the, the players on the bench are looking at how do we, you know, how do we respond? You know, how do we engage with an official? How do we engage with a fellow coach, you know? And um, I mean, leading looks different in a, it presents itself in a lot of different ways, right? There's no one way to lead. Um, and I think the days of sort of the, the my way or the highway uh, approach you know, thankfully, I think they're dying off. Um, you know, there, there's still some that subscribe to that, but I just don't think a, a coach can be successful in that type of environment today just because I think the players, quite frankly, will revolt, <laughs> you know? God bless. Sorry about that. <laughs> I need a sneeze button. <laughs> I'll ed- edit that piece out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Marty, early, early on, you talked about, uh, you know, your, your playing career. And I wonder um, what you were like as a player, you know, what position <laughs> you play, sort of the, the mental approach you brought to, uh, to playing the game. Uh, I was a hothead. Um, I was a uh, perfectionist. Um, if, I didn't, if I didn't score three or four goals a game, I was mad. I was mad at myself. Um, I would beat myself up uh, nonstop. Uh, I was not a great teammate. Um, if my teammates made a mistake, I'd, I'd get on them the same way I would get on myself. Um, and, you know, I, lo- I look back and I'm like, dude, you know, I, I have friends, you know, college teammates that I'm still friends with. I'm like, dude, why did you like me? You know, like I, I was an idiot back then. Um, and I think that all those things kind of formed who I am today um, and, you know, and how I wanted to teach my players uh, how to be great teammates, how to be friends and, and how to care about somebody, even though you may not have the right or the, the personality that gets along with them, or they wouldn't be the person you would go out to dinner with, but you have to work with them and, and you know, teaching them how to respect each other and find each other's strengths uh, on a regular basis. Whereas, you know, when I was in college, uh, you know, I was just, I thought about myself. That's, that's all I thought about. I thought about my career. I thought about my stats, uh, my, my um, success on the field on that given day in that practice, whatever it was. And, uh, and I look back and, you know, I'm ashamed of that, um, of, of how I was back then, you know, but, you know, clearly I'm, I'm, I think I'm much different now. Uh, and, you know, the, my lack of focus on academics as a, as a young player has brought me to the point now where I'm fully focused on academics for my players and, and helping them understand. And, you know, we have some players who, like you say, you know, want to go on and play pro and want to keep playing, which is great. Uh, but the, at one point, the, their career is going to stop. And, you know, they have to understand there, there has to be something more than just playing the game. Um, but, yeah, so, so as a player, I was, I was a perfectionist. Um, I an, overanalyzed myself uh, in every little area. Uh, and and my, my friends and family can attest to the fact that I, you did not want to be around me when things didn't go well. Um, I, was just, I was just a grumpy, stupid kid. <laughs> so... It's amazing that, um, you know, with uh, experiences and um, different situations or whatever in, in life and, you know, getting a little bit older and, and wisdom that sort of comes with that. And, and 
I was telling someone earlier today that, um, you know, my dad, uh, God rest his soul, but I always talked about that, that, um, you know, with, with age comes a little bit more wisdom and some, some hindsight to be able to, to look back and go, because I, I feel the same way, Marty, that I, like, I would love to go back and have a conversation with like 18 to 22 year old Jason and just shake him and go like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You know? Um, because yeah, absolutely. And so I think I've gotten to a place in my life now at, at almost 40 where training my brain has really become something that one, it's a, a significant interest to me as a human, but as a coach, you know, this is something that I'll probably never master, but man, I'm going to try like heck to do whatever I can to try and master um, you know, this skill of emotion and managing emotion and being in touch with that. Because, you know, I don't think we talk about that enough, not only as, as coaches, but even as men, you know, um, I mean, I think people are surprised probably how open we are about it sometimes. And I think that's a really great thing that we've gotten to a place as a coaching community that we can actually even acknowledge that these emotions even exist. Because before, I think it was probably tampered down sweep it under the carpet onto the next thing, yet it's still there. You know, we're just disguising it as, as something else. And, um, you know, I, I, I love the humility, Marty, and that, you know, we're all work in progress, right? <laughs> and that, uh, you know, I, I fail a, a thousand times a day, it feels like some days. But you know what? I want to keep trying. And I want to keep going. And I want to keep battling and fighting and, and whatever. Um, you know, that's a, it's a... To place it's taken a long it's taken a, a long while for me to get there i think as a, as a person and as a man but i'm glad i've gotten there so you and aaron both brought up great points about being um self-aware you know being aware about how where you are in, a, in an emotional state uh you know before you enter a practice or a game you know um you know we all have families so you know something with a, a, a child uh, troubling you before you go into a practice or something like that, um, uh, you know, or something with, uh, within a, the work environment, you know, that, that gets under your skin about something, you're trying to get something done and it's not happening at the speed that you want it to get done. And so are you frustrated? And, you know, I think, I think we as coaches have to be uh, aware of ourselves and, and aware of, of where we are personally um, when we enter those training sessions, when we enter those games, because like you said, Aaron, they're, and, and Jason, they're, they're looking right at you. The players are looking at you all the time. And the more aware that we are of, of, of where we are emotionally, the, the better that we can adjust. You know, if we, if we recognize that we're a little frustrated, a little frazzled, you know, we can take a deep breath. We can take a second to reset uh, before we enter that um, uh, training session or, or game or, or before we go home, you know, before we step in the house, you know, to, to be able to reset before we, we go home. I think that those are important um, characteristics to develop uh, as, a, as a leader for sure. I think that's, I, I think I get so emotionally fatigued because I do exactly that. I, I don't, I think our players would say that they, I'm the same every day emotionally because I spend so much of my energy and sometimes I think my family at home suffers because I spend all my energy trying to make sure that I'm the same emotional level for training and gain when I'm around the team. And then when I go home, it all, oh, it all just lets out because, because exactly what you said, we all deal with external factors, but you don't want something, you know, you, you, uh, whatever happens outside of soccer, maybe somebody said something mean to you or whatever and then you go in and you take it out on your team you don't want to ever do that and it's such a challenge to be able to do that but you're right you can't you've got to stay even tempered all the way around because you don't want it to affect your family and sometimes I feel like it does affect my family because I spend so much of that energy making sure our team recognizes that I'm even tempered that I can't do it all the time and we do have to be self-aware of that. And we do have to take that time. I mean, I was, this is so totally college related, but I was totally against this dead period that we have right now. Mm -hmm. But it's actually a good thing now <laughs> because it does allow you to step away from soccer for two weeks or whatever it is. And it's forced on us now. Um, 
but maybe it is a good rejuvenating time for us as humans. And I think that, that, that travels all over. I mean, whatever job you may do as an accountant or as a doctor or whatever, you know, and you're dealing with people, yeah. you've got to be able to, to manage your own emotions as well, because you can draw, you can drain yourself. And so having that awareness to do that, and I struggle with that a lot, um, as I just mentioned. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. And, you know, that dead period, uh, I was not for it at all uh, when it happened. Um, you know, but now with, with, you know, two kids and having this, you know, uninterrupted quality time with the family, uh, has, has been absolutely fantastic. Um, so, so now I'm, I'm, excited that we have it <laughs> <laughs> i'm with you marty i was totally totally against it but it's a i guess it's a blessing well in terms of managing um you know all the different things that get thrown out thrown at us as, as coaches marty um you know right you got a family kids you got your players to worry about you know what happens on the field you know your competitors what happens in the classroom assisting coaches there's a lot of people in the in the tree, <laughs> so, this, uh, so to speak, in terms of uh, you know that, that need our attention and, and need our care. And you know, I, I'm with Aaron here. I, I've struggled with it. Um, I think I've gotten a little bit better at it. Of you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's quite like a light switch that when, the minute I walk off a pit and, and get in my car or whatever, or you know, leave the high school team to to go be with my family, that I can automatically just you know flip it on or off. You know, there's some times, um, especially it happened one time after a, a really bad loss um, this past season to a team that, quite frankly, we should have beat. Um, you know, but it, we just had a, a bad performance all around that, you know, it, it stuck with me. And I wasn't able to kind of flip that switch as, as quickly as I want. And I wonder what that looks like for you um, and how, you know, because um, we, we try to be good husbands, we try to be good dads, but you know, we also fail at those things, right? And there's been times where I've sort of snapped back at my kids going, oh God, like, why did I just say that? You know, like, again, shake myself. Um, because emotionally, I was still dealing with what happened maybe an hour ago, you know, in a soccer field somewhere. Yeah, I think that um, it's funny because if we, if we don't perform at the level that I expect us to perform at, um, at home or in home games, uh, I'm able to recover quicker um, because my family's right there. Uh, you know, I go home and my family's there. Um, when we're on the road, my family's not there. Mm. And so the game is over and I'm immediately just re replaying the game, replaying events, replaying things. What could I have done better as a coach? What substitution patterns could I have changed? Um, how could I have talked to this player differently? What could we have done differently in that situation? Uh, and especially if we're having to be staying the night, um, after a game in a hotel, uh, you know, then I'm, I'm just thinking about the game, watching the game. Um, and so I, I, I'm, it takes me longer to let go performance on the road than, uh, than it is at home, even though, you know, at home, you know, you have all your friends and family there, you, you, you know, as a coach, you, you want to, your teams to perform their best there. Um, you know, but when it, when it doesn't happen, I'm still able to, uh, let go of it a little bit quicker, uh, you know, because when I see my kids running across the field, um, nothing else matters at that moment. You know, so, uh, but I do know there's there's one situation where actually we we won this year. We we beat UNC Greensboro in a in a big game for us. We were up two nothing uh, with uh, gosh, there was there was like a a minute and a half left in the game, and uh, my one of my players uh, decided to go to goal instead of dribbling to the corner of the field. And, you know, I'm yelling, go to the corner, go to the corner. And she's dribbling to goal. And I'm like, oh, no, what's, you know, we're, we're not out of the, you know, the game isn't won yet. And sure enough, uh, the goalkeeper makes a save, um, play the ball down the field, and, and they score in the last, uh, you know, 15 seconds of the game. And it, we still won two to one. But for me, I'm like, you know, that's a game management situation that, you know, I expect us to, to handle better. And so after the game, you know, I, I know for a fact that I did not handle that situation. I did not respond in the way that I wish I had responded because I was very frustrated that we didn't handle that situation, right? even though we won the game. And so, you know, I didn't even handle it well when I was with my family, you know, 20 minutes after the game. I was still, that still just sat in my head for, for quite a while. Uh, you know, so there's, there's moments like that that, um, 
I think, you know, like you said, we look back, we're like, man, I wish I had done that differently. And that's a moment that's clearly stuck, still sticks out in my head uh, today, you know, even you know, well after the season. And that was early in the season um, that I wish I had responded better and, and wish I didn't carry it over in, into the family uh, environment uh, like I did at that time. Um, you know, but, but at the end of the day, um, you know, we're, we're a work in progress and we're all just trying to be the best that we can be each day. Um, uh, yeah, but so if I'm, if I'm home, if we're, if we're playing at home, I, I respond better uh, and quicker. Um, but if we're on the road, it, it, it sits with me and I sit on the bus and um, it, it's hard for me to get my mind uh, thinking about something different. I would love to do a, a podcast. I've told Aaron this of uh, actually to have, you know, our wives or, um, you know, the, some of the coaches, significant others or spouses uh, to come on and, and talk about us. Um, because someone told me when I was a young person. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone, someone told me as a young person that if you want to know how you actually are, ask the people that live with you. Oh, and, uh, you know, yeah. they'll give you a pretty honest assessment. And, um, you know, uh, my wife early on, knew and again it's gotten better but very much a work in progress for me she knew the minute I cracked the door how things were going to go you know thumbs up or thumbs down I think children have been sort of a, a great equalizer in a lot of ways that um you know when my oldest daughter comes running to the door you know or ac across the field if they happen to watch us play or whatever I'm not going to take that out on her, right? She's, I mean, it's hard to, to be, you know, mean to, to a little girl and, um, and she doesn't care, you know, how we did or, or whatever. She just wants to see dad. So that, that's a great sort of reset button. And then same with our youngest daughter too. My son's at the age now where he'll ask me what happened there though. And, uh, you know, give me a, a bit more of a, a tactical bra uh, breakdown where, you know, what was so-and-so doing in that situation? So, but yeah, I would love to have all of our you know, spouses, wives, significant others uh, come on a show sometime. And um, that would definitely be interesting. <laughs> I, I think it, I think it's awesome. And I'm, I, I don't know how you guys are, but I mean, my wife, she keeps me grounded in life because, you know, when we lose a game and you feel like the world is completely over and, and your life is done and she's like, gosh, it's just soccer. Let it go. Why are you acting like an idiot? You know, I, I, cause I just get so, em we're all emotionally invested in it. And I so emotional and I get drained and she just looks at me like, why are you being so dramatic about this? This is ridiculous. I don't know how those, those spouse couples can coach together. I yeah. Mean, that, <laughs> to me, I just, I mean, they all, I mean, they all make it work. I mean, we know a lot of successful spouse couples and it's amazing that, because I don't know how that works because I need my wife to tell me, God, grow up a little bit geez I, I completely agree Aaron and I think the um yeah uh, the dynamic there I mean we had Paul Jobson on from from Baylor in uh you know a season or two ago and um when he and his wife were working together I mean Paul if you're listening to this uh <laughs> tell us the the secrets uh <laughs> you know, the holy grail here because uh yeah I, I I'm with you Aaron though I, I need that yin and the yang right and um and I guess the, the only comparison I could probably draw from is that, you know, if, if someone ran a business and they were in business with their spouse, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of good days, but there's going to be some days that are really challenging. So how do you work through that and how do you kind of manage all that? And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, it's sort of this weird, you know, moving priority list. I think we all have as coaches of like, what is my priority in front of me right now? can I pay attention to it? And when I'm home, I need to be home. Right. And my wife says that all the time. She need, you know, I need someone here that's present accounted for and, you know, paying attention to us as a, as a family and as a household and, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I've, I've messed up more than, uh, <laughs> than I care to mention, I guess, in terms of just, uh, you know, sometimes emotionally not always, uh, as being as present as I could be. So it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. But I think the, the self-awareness, Marty, that you, that you, that you talk about, I mean, here you are in year, what is it? 20 as a head coach or something along those lines. And you have that introspection to look back at a big win for your program. 
and to think you didn't, you weren't happy with how you responded in that moment. And that's how you get better. And that's how you, and that's how you grow. And, and that's how your players can even see. Cause I mean, I, I have that conversation in the right moments with our players from time to time and say, you know what? I apologize for responding that way. I wish I would have done this. I mean, obviously we can't always do that, but I mean, in certain moments we can be um, vulnerable with our players because we're human too. That doesn't just because we're a leader doesn't mean that we can't show some vulnerability because we are real and we are human and they can appreciate that in the right moments of your vulnerability and, and, and your ability to, to, make yourself better because you talked about that too you got to be willing as a coach to make yourself better so the players can see that you're trying to do that that they're willing to do the same thing yeah 100 percent. you know as a leader you you can't think that you have to be perfect uh to be a leader um it's actually the exact opposite um the people that you lead have to see that you're real they have to see the things that you struggle with and the things that you overcome uh so that they can be inspired to, to do the same thing and if, and if you never share your weaknesses and your struggles and be vulnerable and, and be real, then the people that you're leading, you know, they're not going to respond well to you. They're, they're not going to move in the direction that you want them to move. Uh, so I 100% agree with that. Marty, if, uh, if people want to connect with you and, and follow along with what you're doing at the University of Richmond and in your journey, um, what are some ways that people can reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, active on, on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Uh, both handles are, are Marty, uh, I think it's Marty underscore Beal. I think that's what it is. Uh, so uh, active on both. Um, uh, love to, to, to connect with people. Uh, that's one of the, uh, I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions. I just believe in, you know, what are you trying to improve on? And uh, this year, one of the things I'm trying to improve on is, is being more connected with people um, and, and making more connections and, and trying to help people more and, and trying to learn more. So, uh, you know, I think that through every conversation you have, you can learn something. You can, you can learn as an individual and, uh, you know, I, I am getting a little bit older, um, and uh, you know, I look at one of my mentors, uh, Ralph Polson, who former president of the NSCAA, um, who just retired from being the Walford head coach, men's side, and uh, he's been a longtime mentor of mine. And I, I look at him and what he has given back to the game uh, on a consistent basis, and it, it's inspiring me to to do that more and to give back more to the the coaching community and. Um, into the game that is, has given me so much, has, has given me this this wonderful career that I have and the wonderful platform to impact lives. And and I want to broaden that impact and, and have more of an impact on, on coaches and, and helping young coaches uh, not make some of the same dumb mistakes that I made as a coach. Uh, you know, So definitely want to connect with anybody and everybody to, to help uh, help us all on our path. A good icebreaker if you uh, come up to Marty and just start singing, you know, glory, glory, man, you know. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Best friends from right there. There you go. <laughs> Note to self, write that down. Uh, Marty Beal, thank you so much for being on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And uh, welcome back anytime. It was a good chat, man. Enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So a big shout out to our guest, uh, Marty Beal, for coming on the latest episode of the, the On the Touchline podcast. And something new that we're going to do here in 2020 is basically do a, a wrap-up segment of what did we learn from this episode. And I'll start by saying that I absolutely love Marty's self-awareness and Marty's willingness to recognize that um, growing in the area of his own personal psychology and his own development is something that he's invested in as a coach and, uh, you know, from his playing days, that self-development and, and self-improvement never has to stop as a coach. And that if you're not, you know, constantly evolving and changing and developing, that really you're going to be left out in the cold. And I think that's how Marty has adapted and been able to, um, you know, evolve in our game over the last 20 years. So that's one key takeaway um, for me. Aaron, how about you? You know, going along the lines, just his introspection and to look back at how could I do something better, especially um, as, as it relates to how was I in training? How was I in the game? 
and for him to to be coaching for so long and still look back and go, man, I could have done that better, you know. And I think it goes back to his, you know, his little formula that he talked about, E plus R equals O, and to look and see how did I respond in that moment? How did I respond in that moment? And is it something that I'm proud of? And and I know that if he's looking at that and taking that seriously, his players are going to look at that and go, you know what? If my coach is believes in that, I'm going to believe in it too. And I think it's just a, a great formula that we can all live by. Marty, um, when I got an initial email from Marty, and it, it has in his email signature person, you know, greater sign player, and and we know we talked about it in the in the podcast, but I absolutely love that, and I think that is a nugget. You know, we're always trying to give coaches and, and players nuggets that they can take away from this podcast. I think that is an easy nugget to remember and just put in their back pocket. That if they're ever stuck, it's always about the person first, and that it's about the player second. So really great stuff from from Marty, and I know you were part of the, you know, what drives winning, um, you know, with Brett Ledbetter uh, a few years ago. So cool story, man, and uh, would love to have Marty back on sometime in the future. Yeah, he was awesome. We're working on the uh, the 2021 schedule when you guys can actually play each other. <laughs> 2021, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a long drive to Richmond, but. <laughs> he, he, I listen. I'm 0-2 against him. I don't know if I want to play again. <laughs> uh, uh, Darren, how can uh, how can people follow you on social media? Uh, at uh, Ohio Soccer Coach. Okay. And Ohio Soccer Coach Instagram as well. Yep. Twitter and he, Instagram. He is active on uh, both platforms. You can find me at Soccer Coach JB uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to uh, episode 13 of season three of the On the Touchline podcast. And we will talk to you all very, very soon.